Well, I punched a drill bit through my left ring finger, the tip, had to pull it out. Just got back from the doctor. I needed to get a tetanus shot. I haven't had one in a while. It wasn't that bad, really, at the end of the day. But keeping my left hand straight is one of my highest priorities, so I wanted to make sure I gave it some attention. I read an article a few years ago. Um, obviously, it was a few years ago because he's gone now, but by Guy Clark. Guy Clark, as many of you know, is a really influential folk singer and songwriter, Texas singer, singer-songwriter. He's the center of a crowd of people that are still really interesting to me. There's a movie called Heartworn Highways from the 70s, and if you're interested in this music, you really have to check it out. It has on it Emmylou Harris and Rodney Crowell, Steve Earle, people like that, John Hyatt, people you're still interested in, Lyle Lovett, Eric Taylor, people who were connected to Guy Clark and his scene are still around and still important and still influencing um, that particular type of American music. Anyway, Guy had a workshop at his house and he worked on guitars. There's a scene in Heartworn Highways where he's adjusting the intonation of a guitar and fiddling around with it. He's also drunk and he has it strung upside down. So... I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, he started building guitars at a certain point in his life, and he made several, and uh, including some really fine guitars. And in this article, he talks about weighing the risk-rewards analysis um, between injuring your hand and destroying your playing ability or not being able to express your creativity through woodworking with traditional tools, which was mostly his bag. And I weigh that same risk and make that same analysis pretty much every day. And I go through some certain part of my year or my months where I have minor hand injuries that impede my playing. And I've scuffled through gigs avoiding the tip of a finger I damaged or something. I had two significant injuries to my left hand one about 20 years ago and one about 10 years ago that sidelined my playing for a year or so at a time. The first one, I, I thought it effectively ended my playing, and uh, I was really fortunate to meet some musicians who sort of helped me back and made it worthwhile for me to do the hard physical therapy that allowed me to reclaim the use of my index finger on my left hand, and I'm grateful to them, and I, I think they know it, they better... And think about it because making music is one of the most meaningful activities I do and it's been a little difficult even though my wife and I play music at home or on the boat and perform together. We've done a couple of online performances since this thing started. Music is often the only social activity I engage in. I often feel spent after being in the classroom and talking and I don't feel inclined to do more talking or be social. I also talk all the time. I'm a talker, and sometimes shutting up and playing is really a nice thing. I think music is a, is a wonderful gift, and I feel blessed that I've been free to pursue it in my life. I've never been 
a touring musician or a real pro. I've never tried to make a living playing music. I've never even really been in a particularly successful band. I've been some that have been great and we've played quite a bit. I'm really just trying to keep doing it. And I'm serious about it. I'm a serious practicing musician and I and I study harmony and I practice and I try to learn songs and I try to do the things that will help me continue to develop as a guitar player and try to do the things that might sort of benefit me musically as I decline in dexterity physically as I get older. Though I am trying to keep my hand in pretty good shape. Music is a wonderful thing to engage in, not only because it's social, but it's also just good for you. Playing music animates more areas of your brain than any other activity. Daniel Levitin, in his great book, This Is Your Brain on Music, describes this in in really interesting detail. He talks about the ways that music helps us access areas of our brain that then might be useful to us in other areas of life. And I'm thinking about this mostly in terms of of aging, um, because there's no single activity that's better at mitigating cognitive decline than playing music. Working puzzles and reading and all those things are great, but music is simply, playing music is simply more effective than that. Developmentally speaking, early musical education has been compared to a vaccine against future decline. Music listening and playing aids cognitive development probably better than anything else. I don't understand the the logic behind cutting music education programs in this country over the last generation because it's the simple truth that people who play music are smarter and have more brain power that they can marshal for specific tasks, particularly uh, kind of right-brain tasks like mathematics and science and engineering. In my friend group and my group of musicians that I play with and perform with, there's a real kind of split among us that I didn't quite notice for a while, I think, because I was just trying to be good enough to be asked back and not being particularly analytical about it, maybe being in my own head, thinking more about how I was doing rather than what I was doing. But I notice really clearly now that there's a sort of split between the more right brain and left brain people in this game, the people who approach it more emotionally and the people who approach it more intellectually. I think I approach it more emotionally, and I think that's a benefit to me sometimes, but it's also a detriment to me when I'm trying to learn some jazz tunes that move through several key centers and the intellectual task of keeping that straight is sort of amazing. I've heard a joke that jazz musicians make in response to people who say all the time, well, it's not brain surgery. They say, brain surgeons say, well, at least it's not jazz harmony. Because that can be an incredibly complicated thing. You think about the intellectual effort 
of someone like Charlie Parker who had a method of soloing where he would imagine chord changes that the band could play via substitutions but didn't play and he would build scales and arpeggios out of those imagined chord changes set against the actual chord changes that they did play. I might not be explaining that very clearly and might not be able to without a, a diagram and a helper. But the intellectual labor alone of that is a really significant and important thing um, to consider when you're listening to that music. I guess. I mean, maybe it's not. If you don't respond to it emotionally, I guess it doesn't matter. I've had friends tell me the only reason you like jazz is because you understand how hard it is. And I, I don't I don't think that's true. I don't know, but I don't know that it's not true either. The benefits of playing music are not merely uh, cognitive or intellectual either. There are all kinds of physical benefits of playing and listening to music connected to lowering your heart rate and your blood pressure and setting your body into a kind of rhythms that that kind of work towards what people now called mindfulness. So the ability to play music, the opportunity to play music has been a great gift to me and I've worked hard to be able to do it. I also, again, not really ever being a professional musician, I've always, not always, I've, I enjoy performing I say not always because when I was younger, I often avoided band situations because I had a level of social anxiety that prevented me from performing. I really had to do work to get past some of that, and I'm way not past all of it, but I um, had to get past some of it. Obviously, in order to be a college professor, to be a talker, to be an educator, to be in the room with other people and making things happen. And I think that that classroom experience has definitely helped my ability to perform as a musician. There's an element of risk involved in being a performing musician that's not there in other types of things, in other types of music. In recording studio, you can just... Okay, here's your solo, and you take a run at it three or four or five times, and then you walk away, and they do something with it, often cobbling together different parts of different solos or fixing certain notes. I don't really like that, but it's a pretty common method. But when you're live, you swing or you suck. I guess there's probably in-betweens, but... You don't get a chance to do it over. It happens right now. And I enjoy that element of risk in it, I think, because, well, I don't know why. I feel like I can make that happen. I feel like I can deliver okay. I feel like, in a way, my ability to be present in that moment and make something that sounds musical makes up for my many technical shortcomings and lack of speed. I don't know if any of this, though, gets to the fundamental question of why we make music. If you ask any musician why they play, they're unlikely to say to stave off the cognitive decline associated with aging or to expand brain activity or to lower their heart rate. 
though some of them may be aware of the secondary effects of that. I think there's something more basic, more elemental, more human than that. It's an observation that every human culture has music. If you have language, you have music. Many animals, birds in particular, have music and can appreciate music and musical distinctions. Though there are many, many different musical systems throughout the world, there are also common intervals that are featured in almost all musical systems. Octaves, perfect fourths, and perfect fifths in particular. Even though the music sounds very different, they share some intervalic features. I think there's some basic human impulse to generate sound, and I think the physical generation of sound itself uh, brings joy to people. One of the difficulties associated in researching early musical cultures is that musical instruments don't seem to be around for that long. They seem to be about 40,000 years old. There's some debate about whether Neanderthals had music or not. We need to remember, though, that music for so many cultures is vocal music, and the instrument is something that we carry within us just as the impulse to make it is carried within us. When it comes to musical instruments, I think there's a sort of fundamental human intrigue about them, though, and about just sort of seeing the sound that they make. Drummers have to suffer this all the time. There's almost always a kid or a drunk guy who tries to sit down at their drum kit when they're taking a break. Something about seeing that kit, seeing somebody hitting it, you can you can really tell how it's done and you think you might be able to just go do it in the way somebody might watch somebody dunk a basketball and think they can just do it. Maybe drums seem more basic than that because there's something so human and elemental about rhythm. It's also obviously very possible to emulate so many of those sounds with your body. And those sounds resonate through your body. And so there's a natural relationship, a natural physical relationship between that. Certainly, it must be that one of the reasons that music makes us feel good is not simply that we're conditioned to certain musical systems and rhythmic patterns culturally, though we are. But it also has a great deal to do with the fact that those things occur in nature and we exist in nature and there must be some symbiotic relationship between those natural sounds and our natural human response to them. And that's pretty intriguing to me. It's also intriguing to think about the history of music in terms of the recording process. Music is, of course, and has been the most ephemeral of art forms until about 130 years ago. There was no way to record the music. Of course, you can play period instruments and play them in period-correct rooms, as some people I know do, and you can get some sense of what a harpsichord concert sounded like in a small chapel in the 1600s. I have a friend, I play with him sometimes, or I used to have him in a, a year or so. 
But he um, has built his own harpsichord. He performs period correct music on it. He can't unhear modern music, though, when he plays that. I don't know how closely you can reproduce something that you've written down, despite all the study and, and uh, attention to detail that goes into that. So it's, it's different. Um, and I think that that's, that's interesting. I think that required something particular about the listener. I was watching True Grit the other night. I've seen it a hundred times, but there's a really interesting scene there where Rooster is talking about how he knows all these fiddle tunes. He says that once they get in your head, you just can't get them out. And he's not a, a, a musician. He can't play them on an instrument. He can just hum them. He's remembered. He's internalized the melodies of those songs. And it seems out of character. He's a, a drunken bounty hunter. He's a, a rough guy. He doesn't seem interested in music or anything like that. Even authentic frontier music. Sorry, that's a Mel Brooks joke. Anyway, it seems that experiencing music in that context, if you wished to remember it, you had to participate in some sort of active memory to carry that with you. And, of course, memory is a flawed but a magical vehicle, and it would transform that music, and and uh, the listeners could transform it to their own needs. One of the things that's fascinating about fiddle tunes to me is that these melodies are ancient, and they've been around forever, and they just keep coming back into different musical cultures at different times with different lyrics and reappearing as, as new songs all the time. There, um, the melodies are somehow still compelling, and we still want them. And I think there's something to the idea that because they've been carried in the human mind as a cultural memory for so long, that they're familiar to us. I'm thinking about Jeff Bridges now, um, since he played Rooster in the last True Grit, and. Also had that movie Crazy Heart, which is a sort of interesting version of a of a pretty good novel, frankly. Um, and he plays a song for somebody, and she says, oh, "I I've heard it before. I can't I can't place it." He goes, "Well, that's how it is with the good ones. They sound they sound like you've heard them before." And I think there's something to that that a certain kind of melody stokes a kind of ancient cultural memory. And I think that's partly why music is so satisfying to us, because it seems to say some ancient thing to us that we've lost the language for speaking. I had a student at the beginning of this pandemic thing say that she was going to start playing piano, and I encouraged her to do it. And I said, if you came out of the end of this thing, and the only thing you could say about it is that I learned how to functionally play the piano then it would make this worthwhile to you. I hope she's doing that. I hope she's pursuing that. Maybe she's listening and she can she can check in with me. I think the idea of making music is that it connects to some basic, 
primitive need that we have, and we've privileged it enough as humans to carry it into all corners of the world and all corners of our lives. And I think that playing music satisfies something way beyond thinking about performing or thinking about getting recognition for it or thinking about it becoming a career or thinking about anything. I think just the simple pleasure of making music is something that's important and available to all of us. And I would just encourage people to pursue it. 20 years ago, I had a neighbor. His name was John. He was a retired school principal and educator. He was in his in his early 90s. And uh, he was a fiddle player. And he had fled the Bolsheviks in Russia and taken the Trans-Siberian Railway into Alaska as a young boy with his brother and he played fiddle and his brother played accordion and they worked their way across the continent earning a living playing music. When he found out as a musician he says that's good. He says what my dad told me when he sent us to America was that if you can play music somebody will always give you a sandwich. And I think John got more than a sandwich out of it. I think that that Playing music kept his joy and his hope alive, kept his spirit up, and let him go through the amazing ordeal of finding his way to America as a child and finding his way into the productive working middle class and having a life where he could play tennis into his 90s and continue to play music and regale us with his stories of of hope and optimism. And I think that music is the key to it. It was for him, it is for me, and I think it is for a lot of other people too.